This series of Tilly at Home with is sponsored by Wanderlust. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying doing yoga at home and I've been using their new Wanderlust TV platform. There's yoga, meditation, breath work and fitness classes on there and all with world-class teachers from the US and the UK. Great news is that they're offering the listeners of this podcast a three-month subscription for just £9 and everything's included in that, so there are no excuses. Just go to tv.wanderlust.com and use the code Tilly at Home and find your true north. Welcome to Tilly at Home with Nick Compton. Nick is a former English Test and first-class cricketer who played for Middlesex and Somerset, representing England in 16 Test matches. The grandson of legendary English cricketer Dennis Compton, Nick was born and raised in South Africa before moving at 15 to England on a cricket scholarship to pursue his dreams. Travelling extensively throughout his 20-year cricket career, Nick captured some iconic behind-the-scenes photographs and stunning shots of the wildlife and the communities of the amazing countries he played in. Nick's talent in photography has seen him exhibit at the Maddox Gallery in London and most recently received recognition as the current director's pick at the Saatchi online exhibition, The Other Art Fair. Nick Compton, yay. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Great, great to be here, Tilt. Um, nice to be down this part of the world and nice early morning walk. It always uh, freshens things up, doesn't it? I know, it? that was lovely, wasn't it? Beautiful in there. I was going to just tell you my little bit of cricket story. Because basically my family have always loved cricket so much. My brother and my brother-in-law have a cricket match that's been going on in our family for like 45 years. Every summer they have this big cricket match. Actually, when Josh first came to play, he he hit the ball so hard, he actually smashed a window in the little village <laughs> pavilion. It nearly killed my mum and my nephew and a few, you know, it's quite funny. But So where did it all start for you? Because I know that you grew up in South Africa. I did and... You know, it's been a, an interesting journey, I suppose, when I look back and just talking about cricket and, and village greens, I think that was one of the, the things that really lured me to, to England. I mean, apart from having a, a sort of family lineage, a, a famous grandfather who perhaps transcended his own sport back in the 1940s and 50s, Dennis Compton, he played for, for England. He, he was at Middlesex for, for 20 years. Of course, he's been a, a massive influence in, in my journey and... You know, to have a grandfather who played for the Arsenal and, you know, it was an interesting career because he was 15 years old and, and played a, a game at Lords for the independent schools versus the elementary schools and scored 100 there. And Sir Pelham Warner, who was a, a big sort of grandfatherly figure at the time in English cricket, um, basically gave him a contract at 15 and he went home. It's quite a nice story. He went home with dad you know, chuffed to the moon, you know, he's 15, 16 years old. He's got a, a, his first little contract on the MCC ground staff back in those days. Mum said, well, you know, what are you going to do for the other four or five months of the year? Thinking that perhaps, you know, an admin job in the sort of Hendon local town hall would be a better way to earn a yeah. living. And honestly, about two weeks later, the Arsenal called him up and said, would you like to come and play for us for the other four or five months of the year? And he did that for 20 years. Wow. And, uh, I don't think that happens too often. It certainly doesn't happen today. But uh, during the summers, he was playing cricket for Middlesex in England. And during the winters, he was scoring goals for Arsenal. So He was a real national hero, he? Wasn't was, he? yeah. He was, he was nice. So coming back to me, I, my grandmother was, was South African. And when they divorced, having had my dad and my uncle, she went back to South Africa, took my dad back there. And, and that's where I came oh, about. Oh, I see. And How lovely, yeah. So I kind of grew up there and, and, and played my cricket and sport and obviously South Africa being a very sport mad country, you know, it was what I wanted to do. I think from quite a young age, I think 12, 13 was when I realized that this is, 
this is the avenue for me and the path for me. And I think it was quite interesting when I did eventually come to England at 15, I got a scholarship to school here and stayed with granddad and, and got sort of walked around the hallowed turf at Lords. And, and, you know, you can imagine my eyes were like footballs, yeah. you know, just... Oh, he must have loved that as well yeah, as his grandson. I, th- I think he did. He certainly enjoyed being in the pub in those days. Yeah. And I remember most of the time sitting <laughs> on his lap in, in some British sort of English pub, whether it be at the golf course or in London. But, you know, he, he certainly liked to drink. But uh, he was he was good value, there's no doubt. And it's oh, it was a shame. I sort of would have liked to perhaps spoken to him a bit more once I had, you know, got a bit further on in my career. Yeah. But, you know, there's lots of stories and people still come up to me and regale stories about him. Mostly about you know coming home at four in the morning and that sort of thing rather than what he did on the cricket field but anyway yeah it was probably a bit more relaxed being a sportsman in those days wasn't it It wasn't you know you could go out to the pub i don't know it's very high the levels have got so high haven't they oh they have no it's changed i mean i'm drinking green juices and and protein smoothies and my my grandfather was getting back at four in the morning in a tuxedo (laughs) getting to a a game in a taxi three hours late to play against Australia and borrowing <laughs> someone else's kit and going out and scoring a hundred. I mean, you just couldn't make it up, could you? Yeah. And, and then they're asking, and I'm, I'm there sort of very studious, first one at practice, last one to leave. And I'm thinking, God, I'm not cut from the same cloth, am I? <laughs> yeah, totally different era, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And, um, and so what were your, were your cricket highs? I mean, I listened to loads of lots of cricket podcasts yesterday which I have to say I really enjoyed <laughs> and I was listening to the were you talking about the India test that sounded yeah, yeah. unbelievable yeah I you know people ask me what, what was my the sort of highlights of my career I guess I guess playing for England of course was the goal um, and you become fixated on that and, and you know all the way through childhood and, and coming to England and then playing for Middlesex you know there was a Sure, there was a pressure, there was a family pressure in, in one way, but actually that didn't really amount to the amount of pressure I put on myself. I, I wanted to really achieve something special in my own right. And, um, you know, that came with its difficulties and what have you. But I think, you know, it was it was really playing for England and, and going to India, which was my first test tour. And I mean, I can only explain to, to listeners out there what playing in India is like. I mean, it's a bit like probably being a footballer or playing for Manchester United here. I mean, it is it, it is a religion. There are just millions of cricket fans out there. Um, yeah. You know, as a country to travel to, it's mesmerizing. I mean, it's like no other. You know, there's just cricket. Cricket is everywhere. You wake up at six in the morning and it's a bit like, you know, you go to a, you know, wake up here and people are sort of walking their dogs in the park. Imagine the same thing, but people are playing cricket. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Hyde Park, just imagine Hyde Park in the morning with 55 cricket matches going on, (laughs) balls flying everywhere, dust everywhere. I mean, it's it's amazing. That's their kind of, you know, gym in the morning. It's, um, you know, as a a cricket player, I think it's it's a dream to go there. And I think on your first test tour to play against, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners will know, you know, the likes of Tendulkar and Dhoni and Kohli and these big Indian stars. Mm. And you then realise what, it means to be an Indian cricketer and to, I suppose, to be an English team. And I mean, the, the, the reason it was so fantastic is that it was the first time an England team had beaten India in India for 28 years. So it was nice to be a part of that. I, yes. uh, I can't say I was the star attraction, but I, yeah, I held my own. You and did well. Yeah, I did okay. And, and you know, it was, it, was a, it was an amazing team to be a part of. And um, I remember hitting the winning runs in Mumbai and uh, mum was there. She'd come Aww. over with some friends and yeah, it was very special. And uh, and I hear, did you have a Barmy Army song? I did have a Barmy oh, Army song, so and it, it sort of it was, da, 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 and they went Compton, 
And I, you know, I, I still remember that tune. I mean, walking off, you know, with the Balmy Army singing, I mean, it, it was a spine tingling moment, you know, the hairs in the back of your neck, etc. And you think, wow, like, if nothing ever happens again, you yeah. know, if I, if, if I'm, you know, if, it, if the dream doesn't continue, you know, that was a, a moment to save you. And, um, it, you know, they sort of make up these iconic songs based on another song and they, and they sort of, you know, when he's walking out to bat, da 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 and then they, they have this little sort of rhyming tune, and yeah. it's, it's special. You're standing on the field and you hear them singing wow, that. Wow, yeah. It really does lift yeah. you. It's such an amazing, <laughs> God, amazing achievement. It's so brilliant. I listened as well when you were commentating in the World Cup last year. Yeah. And uh, and you were so brilliant on that. I thought it was so, oh, like, thanks. relaxed. Obviously, you know so much about the sport and commentating. Did you enjoy that? Something that you want to do more of? Do you think? Yeah, I think I would. I I think Dad was a wildlife TV presenter growing up in South Africa, and Mum was a journalist, and Dad was a journalist, you know, effectively. So I kind of grew up in that sort of PR uh, journalistic world. So I think it's been very much a part of of what I've grown up with. But I also think I think I also found being a sportsman one. It was a an opportunity to do something else outside of sport. So when I wasn't playing a match, I tried to do some commentary. I did a little behind the scenes sort of YouTube effect, five minute video of compost clips, I called it. And basically would go into the changing room and, yeah. with a little video camera and annoy my teammates and Brilliant. say, oh, you know, yeah. Johnny, you've got a new haircut. You've had a shocker there or something. Yeah. And so it, for me, it was kind of bringing the fan closer to, to us. Yeah. Because I thought that... The, you know, sport for so long, and, and obviously social media has changed that. But you had the sort of sportsman, you know, on top of the mountain, and you had the fan, you know, behind the TV or behind the ropes, yeah. and there was no real symmetry or, or connection. And actually, of course, sportsmen are all pretty normal. Pe- I mean, we're all the same, right? Yeah. We're just we're just trying to do something, and and it, it it was really fun for me. I think it brought our real creative side to me. And yeah, I've done some commentary. I've I've done a bit of presenting. I, I did the CPL, which was the Caribbean Premier League in in caribbean which was not a bad gig to get for three weeks to be honest yeah. with you going from island to <laughs> island and i do enjoy it tills i have to say it's um it's nice to be on the other side but i also see it as an opportunity when i was playing sport to to come across well and to you know i think you know i think we've all heard a few sportsmen who you know they finish their game or whatever and it, there's an opportunity there i think to showcase yourself and to be a good role model for others etc and i think that was something i enjoyed yeah and, and talk about your experiences as well yeah I, I heard you saying that, that that team that team that won they'd been back to fail and i was thinking that's really interesting because obviously that's a really different kind of mentality maybe from the past like, so they kind of had a confidence like watching cricket you think oh my god it's just such a bitch of a game you know like one mistake mm. and you're out yeah. it must be so tough absolutely I, th- I think you someone said to me once you know Nick you're playing a sport where you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed and I think when you look at that it's quite hard to get your head around yeah. and I think when you're trying to make a career in that and the stakes are high. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a businessman or a sportsman. It's your profession. You know, it's something that you've got to go from being a talent or a, or a young potential. But that bridge between the young potential and now being a, a, a worker, somebody who does this professionally, I think that was the biggest learning curve I had. And, mm. I, and I owe my thanks to, to a mentor of mine who really got hold of me and said, right, you know, no longer are you a, a young professional. You're now, or sort of a young potential. You're now a professional, and and this is what the game's about. And now we have to build that career. Right. And yeah. That was probably the biggest, you know, sort of learning curve. And I think then trying to deal with the highs and lows of professional sport, and you realise 
the thin line between success and failure. And I think that's what I think at the end probably got me a little bit is waking up with that anxiety and that, you know, the fact that you've got one opportunity in cricket yeah. and that's the end of your day. And Especially as a batsman, particularly. Well, yeah, and you get home and that after you get home that evening and you lie back, you sort of get back and you dump your kid down and you lie in your bed and you go and you look at the ceiling and you go, oh. and there's moments where you think, I've had a good day today, but that could so easily have been yeah. a, a bad day. And, yeah. I, and, and I think, you know, without going too deep into it, I, I think you start to view yourself much in the same way. You know, if you, you know, you start craving yeah. that success, you start craving, I need to perform so that when I come home at night, I can feel good about myself. Yeah. Right? And I found that very difficult once I started really getting into to sort of disassociate myself as a person, you know, yes. and whether I had a good day on a cricket field or not, shouldn't have any relevance to yeah. how I feel about myself really, but it, it really did. And, um, and that's the challenge, I think, A, in professional sport, but particularly in a game like cricket. Also, I heard you saying something about when you are playing professionally, you have so dedicated and focused on it that anything else outside that, so if you wanted to think about other careers later on, you'll be giving your energy to those and that might be 5% that you haven't got focus on your game. So it's actually quite difficult, although you're right, you have to obviously have a life, but you also need to be so dedicated. Yeah, and I don't think hand on heart I got that right. Uh, I think when I looked around at some of the, the teammates I played with, you know, you take a guy like Alistair Cook, you know, who's Sir Alistair Cook now. Um, he was my opening partner for a period when I played for England and, you know, I've known him for a long time and he, he has a... You know, people sort of talk about his success, and and for me, I put I would put that down in my own opinion. Obviously, he's a very good player, but mentally and emotionally, just had a, a consistency to him that didn't didn't seem to be too affected by his performance. Yeah, and that was his talent. You know, yeah. I, I perhaps have other talents, but for me to to get that mental sort of balance, I found incredibly difficult. And I think in the end, it's it's something that you know you really really have to you know a work hard at and you know I I sort of felt that you know when I was going through my career I just that was probably the biggest thing that that sort of held me back a little bit was was trying to get that emotional balance yeah yeah as well you mentioned that you'd had like anxiety as like a teenager that's a lot to manage and especially in those days like even even these days now people are much more open about that kind of thing aren't they and maybe you would have had more help with that. Maybe that was a bit of time that you were spending on something that would, would impact on your performance sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. And, and, you know, coming back to that, you know, the sort of balance side of it is, you know, there, there were other aspects to my life that I really enjoyed. But unless my cricket was in my own head sorted yeah. or, or I was progressing or the dream of playing for England and, and achieving some of the things yeah. that I had fantasized about was was becoming was getting closer yeah i then would and if that wasn't happening i would feel yeah i mean i have to be honest i'd feel huge doubt anxiety um there would be quite a vulnerability to me and that that was hard to deal with and i suppose when you go even deeper and you start looking at relationships and you you know i find it very hard to sort of balance both and and some guys spent a lot of time you know, I had my outlet, sure, you know, which, which we can come into in the photography and travel and stuff. But fundamentally, I think it was very difficult to do both. And Alistair, so like a guy like Alistair yeah. Cook, you know, has kids and a wife and a family and seemed to be able to do that much more, more evenly. But I, I think also that comes back to who you are. And you say that anxiety growing up, I, I definitely had issues with anxiety, um, you know, separation anxiety, etc., which 
sounds quite ironic when you well, think well, I left yeah. the country and came to another country. Yeah. But I think that's when there was an epiphany moment. And I think we all have them in life where I remember looking, you know, whether it be in, in the mirror or looking at the ceiling one evening in South Africa, I was 15 years old. I had this opportunity to come to England to, you know, inverted commas, follow my grandfather's footsteps. And, but I think if I was really honest about my own mental and emotional makeup, would I have done that? Probably not. Yeah. But the goal and the dream was yeah. was bigger. And I remember looking at myself and going, if I don't do this, you know. You I, might I, regret it. I might regret it. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and you did so brilliantly. <laughs> I mean, you did brilliantly. So, But it's interesting, isn't it? Just, you know, how we're all sort of made up differently and, yeah. and where those levels are. You know, yeah. for me to do that, it was right at the end of my coping yes. strategy. Yeah. And, and the mechanisms that I did or used to try and to sort of cope through that, I don't know if I always got. That yeah, right, you know? and actually, yeah, I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. If you had actually been able to maybe be a bit more relaxed, that might have helped at times. True. But you were, yeah, that I think these days maybe people are a bit more um, open about that sort of stuff. You might have had more support, I guess, as well with it. I think so, and I, you know, sportsmen are coming out more and more and talking yeah. about, you know, difficult. You know, there's a different story in the paper every day with yeah. someone who's been struggling, and it, and I think it has been great that that people are doing that. I think I still feel that in terms of the stigma, I think mental health is in sport when you come down to the crux of it, it's a performance environment, you know, mm. and while you know the understanding of the human being is more prevalent now, mm. I still think it's a difficult thing to do when you're in it. Yeah. And you're struggling. You know, I think it can be difficult. And, and towards the end, I, ha- I had my struggles. There's no doubt. Yeah. And, and you're fighting yourself as much as anything. Because, of course, you've got this vision of yourself as yeah. being strong and, you know, performing and out there in front of people. And that's what you expect of yourself. And, and when, you, when you're not well or when things aren't right, to admit that or to, to understand that is very difficult. Yeah. And, and it's probably been in the last couple of years since I've retired where there has been a bit more perspective and I suppose forgiveness in a way because yeah. you, you ask obviously you ask so much of yourself yeah and I was I'm going to ask you that actually as you look back I mean I'm sure at the time you always want to do better or you think you should do better but now when you look back at it like you really did achieve that your dream and the goal of following your grandfather doing playing at Middlesex playing for England I mean that you'll have that forever now so that's you know what a brilliant yeah no true and I think it, the more you know I can have people remind me of that does help funnily enough I mean because you know I think you know if someone said to me Nick when I was 15 you're going to play for England I would have bitten their arm off yeah. you know and yeah. even if it was one match mm. but I guess when you start going through the the ages and, and you start going up in the world a little bit in, in your in your own domain um, you want more yes you know you want course. more and it yeah. becomes and then when you get there, you sort of, then the expectations and the goals change. Yeah. And I think when I look back, no doubt, I mean, I would ha- I would never sit here and say, oh, you know, I think there was a little bit of a disappointment in some ways. And I think I'd be incorrect if I didn't say that and say, oh, yeah, you know, everything was amazing and great. You know, look, I was, but I think there was probably towards the end where, um, I probably let myself down a little bit and I think there's a combination of things and you also realize when you look around it and I'm certain you, ha- you you have to be nice to yourself you have to, to you have to forgive you yourself for you sure do. no you do and you have to sort of go you know what it, 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 it was pretty good it could have been better sure it could have been better yeah. it could have been worse you yeah. know what I mean and actually yeah. I was you could have not lucky. taken the opportunity yeah. couldn't you I was bloody lucky 
We are just interrupting this episode to bring you a short message from a wonderful charity that we're supporting. I am really happy to say that this podcast is working with the Cross River Gorilla Project to raise awareness of the critically endangered Cross River Gorilla and support the local rainforest communities. With only about 300 of these great apes remaining in the world, this comes at a crucial time. The Cross River Gorilla Project would love you to sign up to their website, which is free, and help share their story. You can also follow them on Instagram at Cross River Gorilla and see how you can make a difference. Yeah, and you must, there's so much sort of mental discipline and focus on being an elite athlete, I imagine. I'm, I'm not obviously one myself, but do you, with that kind of training and fitness that you have to have, especially in cricket nowadays, you know, people have to be super athletic. Do you miss that environment of that structure of the training? Yeah, it's a great question, Tills. And, you know, you've hit the nail on the head and it, I do miss it. I, I absolutely, I miss, someone asked me the other day and I said, I miss being good at something, you know, and I'm, <laughs> because it's something you trained yourself in all day. And I remember, and I also remember playing with and one of my colleagues when I was playing, actually Ed Smith, who's now the chairman of selectors. And he said, you know what, you get to wake up in the morning and you get to go and work at something that you're innately good at mm. and get better. Yeah. And that is a gift in itself to mm. go to, you know, a lot of people, you know, have to get up and, you know, take kids to school and, you know, go to work yeah. and potentially sit in jobs that they don't particularly love, you know, to yeah. pay the bills and stuff. I, I was doing something that I was, that I had a talent for yeah. and I got to improve that talent every mm. day. And actually, I miss that. I, yeah. I miss feeling that unique sense of I'm doing something slightly different here yeah. and I'm I'm getting better and, and I'm getting fitter and I'm getting stronger. And I, I, I really miss the structure and I think that's what's been the hardest thing is suddenly you finish sport you're sitting at home and it's like, oh dear, that's finished now. And then it's been a sort of a window into the real world. Yeah. And people are like, good luck with that. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm, still th- I'm still trying to wish myself good luck. Yeah. I know. Well, I think it, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because you, you obviously people are telling you where to go, right? We're doing this session here. We're totally. going on this match. You've got to do this. And that, that's all set up for you. And, and like you were saying, because you have to be so focused on that. You don't you you don't spend your time playing the sport thinking well after this what am I going to do and I guess the cricket people around you are not thinking about well when he leaves us at this point what's he going to do so how do how do people transition from pro sport well look we there is a, a body called the PCA Professional Cricketers Association who do a fantastic job to support current past and uh, do they know, oh, great. I suppose okay. the future in a way yeah. by preparing you in many ways. Look, nothing can prepare you for the future like like the present in the sense that until you retire, until you turn your attention to something else. In saying that, there are skills that you can acquire and the the sporting world has got better at that. But I found that very, again, I found that very difficult because mm-hmm. on a, my dad would say, why don't you go into the city and do some work experience? But like, I wanted what? to play for England. <laughs> you know, I, when I finished a season in September, I would be back in South Africa or Australia and I wanted to get I wanted to then work on my game in the winter because that's the time when you can really put the practice in and the the honest answer is there is space to develop yourself in other areas and Mm -hmm. I sort of I did perhaps with the media I did a lot of media work in between but yeah and photography and and photography I mean and I, I loved it and it was a passion and what have you but it's difficult and there is support there is some support but it's it's more I think the suit, a lot of players go two different routes. Some some players go from retiring straight into something. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way that 
almost as better because you do your healing and your you while you're in something else. I mm. think what I had is I sort of came out of it and I just didn't feel the motivation and energy to do anything. I felt like I was mourning the loss of something. Yeah, and you and, had some injuries as well, did you? Yeah, I've had well, I've had eleven operations in my career. I've just had a, a bilateral hip operation in South Africa during lockdown, so that was fun. Yeah, and then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm doing a lot of Pilates, which has been kept me on a on a cricket field. To be honest, like Pilates is is the one, and I'm doing my sort of teacher training, which has been yeah. great. Um, but more for my own awareness and yeah, you know, and and practice. But um, yeah, I think therapeutically, Pilates is one of the best forms of of training that I've I've come across, yeah. and I think it it really has helped me. Yeah, in a sort of rehabilitation sense. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you know if I was if I was running a sports team, any young professional that I signed at seventeen, eighteen, I would have a prerequisite of them having to do three months with a top Pilates oh, instructor. Really? Wow! And That's then come and talk to me. Wow! So you get signed, you have three months with a Pilates instructor, and then come back to me because I know. What I'm going to get back is somebody yeah. who's going to have a deep awareness of their mind and body, yeah. a, a, a greater connection, and their body is going to be from a rehabilitative and protection point Prote- of view. Yeah, preventative. So it's like a preventative. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're building the foundations to a house. Then you can yeah. do the gym work on top and the running and all this sort of thing. But without the true understanding of, of your core strengthening those sort of areas, yeah. I, I feel like you're, you're working backwards. And I, I went that route, and that's what I worked out. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and do, I mean, do you think the thing is also because you had that great passion, and it's also then about finding something that you equally feel as enthused and excited by as the cricket? Yeah, and I, again, someone said, you know, I keep going back to someone said, but someone did tell me that Nick, you're never going to reach those highs yeah. ever again that you did, you know, playing for England or or what have you, and. I don't want to hear that, but I no. think that, I think there is a there's a there's a truth in the sense that well, what I might find is is more of a balance. Yes, you know the highs and nice. lows. Yeah. You know they they get to you eventually. You know, and it's it's waking up with that you know that anxiety every day and that doubt and and it swirls around and it's up and down and it's you know it's emotional and you need that performance to get your contract and you go through that and I think maybe I'll find something that probably has a bit more of an equilibrium to it, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Photography for me is is has probably got me somewhere close. You know, I've done some amazing things since I've you know, and I think it's been a form of escapism. You know, going out to places like Alaska and photographing these, saw that, these yeah. grizzly bears um, in Alaska, and you're trudging through a, a river, you know, up into up to your waist, and there's these bears jumping in and feeding on yeah. fish and that made me feel alive yeah it's and very exhilarating that absolutely. yeah i know i saw you in the park going up to the deer i was like that's a huge stag and you're like getting closer and closer i was like okay he's really not worried about the stag he's used to much <laughs> scarier animals yeah. yeah yeah i think well i think south africa as people will know is you know it's a, it's a culturally rich and, and diverse country look it's got its political issues has done for years but that's something that makes me quite proud of that heritage and that upbringing that I've had mm. you know and coming here um to England and yeah I think when I go back to South Africa it um there's a deep connection with nature and conservation um mm. even if your parents aren't involved in nature and conservation it's just the lifestyle that you have over there so I think that's something and, and dad used to take me up to game reserves and you know sure lions and elephants and you know I've seen a lot of it and and yeah I think now going back and sort of photographing and it's a very mindful thing as well. It's mm. a, I find the the 
the art of photography very mindful and yeah. you know everyone nowadays with it whether it's going to the gym or even practicing meditation or you know that's been my kind of therapy in some ways is that when i've got my camera and i'm immersed deep in yeah. you know whether it would be a game reserve or even richmond park and i'm walking yeah. up to a stag and trying to get close i'm fully present yeah in that moment and I, and I and i found that difficult to be fully present outside of that and i think that's why photography is really drawn yeah. being drawn to me yeah that's interesting isn't it something that you have to be really focused on as you were when you were playing sport that's lovely Absolutely. i mean that that's actually the that's what all the wise people say though isn't it it's about being present in the moment yeah hard to do in today's world it's hard to do yeah because you can get distracted but <laughs> yeah and so the with the podcast actually one of the things that we that i'm doing is supporting this charity called the cross river gorilla project right and they saw so that's up in the highlands of cameroon there's like three only 300 gorillas left there and um, I saw that you did photograph some gorillas in Uganda that, that look, they look incredible oh I can't say more about that I mean people say what is the best thing you've done photographically and sure I'm still pretty much in my infancy because I always took my camera on cricket tours and it was my way of instead of playing PlayStation in a hotel room you know I would hit the streets you know yeah um, to the annoyance of some of the security but I sort of went out the back door and said <laughs> especially I'm, in India yeah yes. I've got to see this country I can come here to sit in a five-star hotel and you know sit yeah. in a buffet and a breakfast all day I want to go and see the car I want to meet the people mm. the locals etc but I, there's no doubt that the grizzly bears in Alaska and and the gorillas in Uganda were two of the most incredible um, sort of photographic trips that I've done I mean those those gorillas are something else mm. and why is it different I mean in South Africa, you'll sit in a game car and you'll go around and you'll have your long lens and you'll see some lions and what have you. But when you're on foot and you're in the depths of a forest in Uganda and you're, you know, you're, you're hacking through thick, dense bush to find these gorillas. It was just me. It was six guides wow. and it was about an eight hour hike. And I can tell you wow. no cricket match will ever <laughs> come to the fatigue i literally collapsed when i got back carrying this 300 milli um, mil lens um and then three hours later boom suddenly the, the one of the guides the saw a broken branch and then we found this family of gorillas and they were unhabituated so i.e not very um hadn't seen many humans before yeah. and uh just following them for about four or five hours as they sort of roam wow. through it was just mine you know it was it was amazing and I think the the major thing I'm coming back to is that connection because mm -hmm. gorillas of course aren't far off our lineage yeah. and it's connect there was times with the silverback where I connected right deep into his eyes mm -hmm. and it, it there was a hey I can see you hey yeah. I understand you um which I've never had with any other wild animal before um they're so human-like and and it's almost like you're with another family yeah and, and it was a it was an incredible experience yeah i think with the the cross river gorillas they're very um they're very shy so it's really hard to to see them i think to That's get close like, yeah 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 and their and their habitat is quite encroached upon by you know forestry and also agriculture so they're trying to support the kind of community around yes. around the gorillas as yes. well and the rangers support the rangers and get involved with the education of the, Amazing. Of the community. Well, yeah, done. Well, no, well done you. I think that's fantastic. Well, and they'll be very happy to hear well, your stories. Well, maybe I'll have to come out there and photograph the Cameroonian gorillas. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. yeah, amazing, yeah. So congratulations on your very recent director's pick, <laughs> Saatchi. It's um, the other art fair. Sorry, the other which, art fair, yeah. yeah um, congratulations. No, well, yeah. thank you. It's It's been a, a long, yeah, it's, it's been a, it, it's sort of, well, say a long journey. It's been a long journey of photography and, and transition. 
but I see it as kind of something that I've I've been working hard, particularly in the last three years, to try and really delve into this photo- photography. And I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go. You know, I thought it was always a passion. Um, yeah. It always allowed me to find weird and wonderful places in places like India or Sri Lanka. And, you know, I've always found the need to go off the beaten track. And that's probably the African in me. Um, yeah. But also dad in his wildlife and conservation work would would very much connect with some of the tribes and and different places that were being affected by various conservation sort of issues and i think that was that connection with people and Mm -hmm. that ability to pull out the comfort in somebody that you don't know or or have no sort of apparent connection with Mm -hmm. i think that's a real skill um and getting someone to warm to you in a short space of time and feeling connected whether you know irrelevant of their race or you know um, demographic Mm. I think that was something that I you know when I when I think of my upbringing that was something that dad really instilled in me and I think I still have that when I go to other parts of the world like when I was in India going and helping young kids in different streets and meeting some interesting people like that's yeah. what really gives you that color. I played cricket in Zimbabwe for a for a cricket team, and I was only only white guy in that cricket team, and mm. it was amazing. It was yeah. probably you know apart from playing for England, those were some of the experiences that probably meant the most to me. And I think that's what I'm trying to show in this in this exhibition is is some of that work, is some of that connection, is is the wonder in me, you know, sort of making that transition. And I think I hope that if people do see my work, they'll you know considering covid and and the isolation and and the fact that we've been cooped up in in our houses it'll re it'll bring out that sense of travel and imagination yeah. and, and that's what i'm certainly looking forward to i know we've all missed that there's lots of frustrated explorers around at the moment aren't there yeah totally with your first exhibition i saw at the maddox gallery I loved it. it was called Beyond the Boundary. Yeah. It was a good good title. Did you like it? Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> I was like that is perfect. But how lovely. So with the media work that you do and the photography, those are two things that work quite well because they're very complementary but very different. Yeah. So will you just you think you continue with both of those? Um, I would like to. I think the media world has changed a lot. I think especially in, in the cricket media and media in, in general, there's a lot more sort of sole platforms out there. You know, you look at podcasts, you look yeah. at social media, you look at, you know, Amazon Prime, all mm. these individual channels now. So mainstream media has taken a little bit of a different turn so i i don't know where that media journey will go i I would love to continue talking and and i like really being quite intricate with the game because there's obviously a game i've played for so many years i i love talking about it but that's i think it's largely opportunity based and we'll see how that goes but i think the photography is something that i'd really like to to push forward with um i've got another exhibition in chicago with a gallery and i'm doing an exhibition called humanities with the likes of David Yarrow and Fantastic. Tom Stoddart and Paul Nicklin, who's a Nat Geo, world famous Nat Geo photographer. So it's nice to be recognized, but also, you know, be with some photographers that I really look up to and respect. And, you know, it's a journey, isn't it? And yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about. It's just trying to navigate that and also to use the photography in a way to, to bring awareness to the likes of some of the issues that are going on around the world. And that's what I'd like to do more of is get out to places like Kenya and Africa yeah. where I think sport photography can really, um, A, create awareness, but 
there's a lot of connectivity there in terms of helping others and using perhaps the platform that I've generated through sport to to do something. Yeah, I know. I think that the one thing with the lockdown, I think that there was those two things that were very much missed, wasn't it? It was sport, no sport. I mean, even if you were doing more meat, you wouldn't have had any media to do on sport. There was no sport really Nothing. in England this summer and the lack of travel. Yeah, those are the two things that we're really looking forward really to lacking. opening up. Yeah, yeah, I think it's sort of like a cage lion, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you're sort of just ready to go, and and you know, England England has its challenges with that. One one being the weather, of course, and also the open spaces. It's not always easy. I mean, there's some amazing places outside of London, but being stuck in London, yeah, can be quite a challenge. So you know, you sort of have to sort of find other ways of entertaining yourself. Yeah. You know, I've had a bike in my basement where I've just sat and you know churned over for ages and sort of now's the time where i'm like i need to get out you know what i mean yeah. I need to go and take my camera to some far off place and yeah. get lost you know yeah yeah and i'm sure so that, it's good that that's kind of opening up now and you're going back to south africa Christmas. i am going back lovely. to i know it's you know, a lot of people are like oh i hate you you know you're going back to a yeah. warm country with it but i yeah i'm going back my family live in a place called nice in the plettenberg bay which is about five hours from cape town and yeah. yeah nice part of the world just go back and it's nice to you know i try and get back once a year and and see them and yeah. you know let's be honest miss part of january to be honest yeah. if i can yeah. and the exhibition in chicago that's will that be online again so you won't ha- you won't be going to that I won't. No. It's, I think it's going to be a virtual gallery yeah. just because of everything. Um, it's freezing uh, in Chicago in January it, as well, it, I imagine. Yeah, that's proper, that's proper cold. <laughs> that, yeah. That's sort of minus 20, 30 yeah. or something. So I'm not in a hurry to get over there. Yeah. But although it's a cool city. Um, yeah, that's going to be in January. I'll, I'll let everyone know on Instagram if yeah. they want to follow me on nick.compton. But yeah, it's something that, again, it's another you know opportunity and, and what she's trying to do in Chicago with connecting everyone. And, and I think that's timely as well for, for an exhibition called Humanity, which yeah. is more about bringing awareness to you know some of the sort of people out there that perhaps haven't had as much and had the opportunity that we have yeah and um and you're selling your prints as well some of them yeah know. selling them online yeah, on this on the Saatchi art so people can find me on the Saatchi art website you know shameless plug but yeah if they want to have a look at my photography no, it's that's great, great. it's a, um, it's amazing I mean it's great to get the recognition from the Saatchi galleries isn't it I mean yeah. that's very high no, so it's it is about high and standard as you can get. No, it is. It's fant- it, it's it's great. I mean, look, whether I was a photographer or not, I love art and I love photography and I love creativity and I love seeing what people are doing and you know even you know what you've done with this podcast. You know, it's creative. It's interesting. It's imaginative. I think it it really brings out a side of that athlete that perhaps I haven't had for a while and I think it's craving to try and find a bit more of that yeah and yeah so I mean I, I'm a I'm an art lover I'm a photography lover and you know I hope my mum's a my mum's an artist back in South Africa so yeah. yeah so I look it's it's there it's just um I think now trying to navigate that world and and it's been a real eye-opener the whole fine art world is a really interesting one yeah yeah well we'll definitely be watching out for more of it <laughs> won't we hope so <laughs> yeah it's amazing you're so talented it shows actually isn't it when, you, when you've been really good at one thing like a, a sport like that I feel like you kind of have you obviously have quite a good discipline and high standards so whatever you do you'll, you'll give it you'll give it your all won't you yeah I mean my dad always said when he dropped me off at school you know what's the what's the motto and I had to tell him before I ran up there as a 10 11 year old you know whatever you do do it well yeah and he said whatever you do do it well but it's almost been a bit of a noose around my neck because now i've got the sort of perfectionism yes you have to be careful with that you actually, do. don't you yes you do and it's it's you know it, it's a good drive but it's actually can tip you the wrong way right you just need to start 
Yeah. And I'm like, well, if I'm not going to do it properly, then there's there can be a procrastination and a, a sort of lethargy that comes in because yeah. you sort of think, well, you know, if I have a coffee, I want it to be the best coffee, but actually yeah. just have a cup of coffee, you yeah. know. And yeah, it's that that's been something that again, the high standard, you, you've got to be careful. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't be at point 100 when you're on point 10 you know you've yeah. got to get to 11 first then yes. 12 and 13 and, yeah. and that's hard for an athlete because you want that you want that instant access now yeah. or success yeah yeah well thank you so much you're amazing thank you for being my guest my family uncles cousins brothers brothers-in-laws <laughs> husband's son are all going to be very proud well i know not everyone who... loves cricket but I, you know look i hope i hope it has been good tills and you know i, I just want to thank you for for having me here this morning yeah. it's such a wonderful place and you know hopefully we can do a few more walks in richmond I park know. <laughs> Yay, let's do that thank you thanks so much for listening to this episode please take a moment to rate or review the show and also share it with anyone that you think might enjoy it you can follow me on Instagram at Tilly at Home With or email me Tilly at Home With at gmail.com. <laughs>